Hi, everybody. This is Kevin Martin. Welcome to Between the Vines. We're here to talk about the viticulture and business of grapes in Western New York and the world. Uh, here with me today is Jennifer Phillips Russo. Hi. Oh, that's the awkward silence. That's for me to jump in. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We, we talked about uh, changing up our intro and, and, and I caught her off guard with that. Go ahead. I'm looking Jennifer. at Andy's beard. So hi, I'm Jennifer Phillips-Russo. I'm a viticulture extension specialist with the Lake Erie Regional Grape Program. We are a program that consists of specialists from Penn State University and Cornell University. And today we have another one of our team members with us, Andy Musa. Andy, you want to say hi? Yeah, the, um, Andy Musa, I'm an uh, extension educator in Erie County, Pennsylvania, and also a member of the Lake Erie Regional Grape Program's extension team. And I'm happy to be with you today. And we are all Lake Erie Regional Grape Program team. Um, this, this podcast, Between the Vines, is brought to you by Cornell and Penn State and, and our, our regional team. Uh, we have a bunch of stuff to cover today. We had some interesting events that we talked about last week, and we know more this week. So we want to talk about what that cold damage did, what cold damage we are seeing, and what we aren't seeing. And then uh, I do want to talk a little bit about where we think bright grape prices and commodity prices and input costs are going to go as a result of some things happening in the market. And that's going to integrate with how we manage our regular grapes and our damaged grapes. So let's kick it off with some frost damage. And I think both Jen and Andy have been out in the field. Uh, I'll turn it over to Jen first. Yes, we have been. Thank you. I would like to just state so that everybody has a little bit of reference of time in case you're catching this later. Today is May 5th. 2021 and we did have an advection freeze that happened on April 22nd and there were also a couple cold snaps a couple days post that but the real kicker one that got some of our farms unfortunately was between the nights of April 21st and April 22nd of this year. Temperatures did get down below 29 degrees and buds had pushed early this year so they were out quite a bit in some areas already open and filling and swelling with water. So yeah, we have noticed we've noticed some substantial damage, some 100% primaries, 95% primaries, even some that have substantial secondaries up on the higher elevations on the escarpment. I know that I was out. Andy, I know you were out as well. My heart just breaks, but I was hard pressed to find pink in any of those vineyards. And if I did, my eye completely went to it because it was the only pink in a sea of brown. What did you find? Yeah, those two frost events, um, like you said, the April 21st one, that's when we had, uh, at least out in my neck of the woods, uh, western part of Erie County, uh, I, we had three inches of snow also. Yeah. And then looking at the uh, newest stations across the belt, I guess it was maybe 27 to 28. Uh, I don't know if that, Jen, you looked at some of those and Kevin, and that's what I had come up with. And then the other one that, we sort of got hit with and I don't think it was um at least I didn't see it where it was called for uh was Monday morning um the 26th uh after that Wednesday event and again we went down to probably 27 to 29 uh in the morning then and it was a really heavy frost that day too and so those are the two events that we've had. And the second one on the 26th was one that really surprised me. It was a, a clear night and um, it's just temperatures really got low. So 
So Andy, just curious, because I was out in vineyards out in your neck of the woods up on the escarpment on Friday. So Friday was April 30th. And that night they said, I'm worried about my secondaries because we're getting snow. And I was like, stop. I didn't even know it was calling to get, I mean, that would have been May 1st. Did you hear anything from there? And not no. to put you on the spot, but I haven't even checked the newest stations after that. No, I did not. And, you know, I usually go by, you know, if there's frost on my lawn and, and I got hummingbird feeders out in my backyard and when there's ice in those and <laughs> even shows. like last year when we got that, then, I mean, if I see that, then it's like, I know. And then I have a maximum thermometer uh, in a cold spot in the back of my yard. And that really always reads lower than say the new it newer ones it's it's more like maybe some of these growers that have uh, dips or real cold areas in their vineyard so that's why i have it there and um that was where i think mine was like 26 or, or 24 but like i said it was a really that's not usual across the belt but um it was a clear night and i think personally and i don't know if I, we can i can say this but um I don't have any evidence of it, but I think that really hit some of the guys worse than the clear night at that yeah, low temp. Clear night in that low temp um, than, than when we had the snow. So, yeah, at least by the newest stations, it looked very, very clear to me that that second night was worse in Pennsylvania than the first. I think mm -hmm. I do think New York was a little bit different. Um, yeah, I, I think you're right, Kevin. Um, but when in assessing the damage, I guess it probably doesn't matter because those two nights were so close together. We'll just see we'll just see that death occurring almost at the same time. And you got to make sure you get out there and actually look and walk through. I mean, you know where your vineyards are weaker, where they're stronger, where your cold spots are. You need to actually get out there and look because it's a little bit surprising in some of the areas where we thought we were going to have a lot of freeze damage. They are seemingly okay. Now, granted, I think it might be a little bit early to tell. It's definitely blatantly obvious when you go to some places and they're just crispy brown, that's all that's there. But I think on the stuff that was out and that people are like, well, man, I think I'm all right. I think you just need to watch a couple more warm days, see how that grows. Yeah, we did see some temperatures get down to. So, Andy, we saw the same thing around where I live, um, just that the newest stations were a little bit wider in terms of, you know, I would say 26 point something like 0.9 to all the way up to 29 something uh, yeah. over the course of those two days. But where that damage was severe, you did really didn't have to wait to see a lot of it. I mean, you could go and see 50% damage in the Forestville area in, in some of the higher elevation spots the next day. So the, yeah. the day after the first frost. Right. But then we've got other stuff. You know, I think it was a little more hit or miss in Chautauqua County, New York, not necessarily New York State, but Chautauqua County, where... Um, there are some areas that are traditionally hit that don't see any or very little damage. And I don't know if it was because of how far they were out. Uh, Nua says they were, you know, a whole degree warmer, but they were below freezing for a long time. Right. You know, I honestly, and I've been looking into this, I'm not sure where the research is on, this is just in talking with a bunch of researchers and viticulturists about this because it was a windy event. It was an infection event, not that the wind was blowing, and the bud is sort of at an aerodynamic, you know, it's almost a sphere or an oval. I'm hopeful that that wind blowing around has protected it a little bit. 
Yeah, I mean, those temperatures were right on the edge of maybe causing damage, maybe not in certain areas. So I think you start to see weird things where there was some damage to certain parts of the tissue and, and not others. But, uh, you know, there wasn't a lot of protection because of that high wind is, is the other way of looking at it is, you know, the, the temperature on the ground was the same temperature as the temperature 30 feet in the air. And I think that elevation difference has less to do with elevation and, and more to do with, you know, bud development and just the lake effect temperature kind of thing. You know, I don't think air drainage was really important. We don't see those patterns where, um, where there's just a, a solid line because of some grass that was growing up. Um, right. That's what I've seen so far anyway. And I haven't been in the worst of it. I've been in the best of it, to be honest, where there's less damage. Well, that brings up another question because, and I know Andy, I have a question for you as well, but I have had growers talk to me about, well, should I dial back on my nutrition program? I said, I don't think we have, we can talk about that right now. The ones where they're blatantly toasted and secondaries are toasted, maybe leave your cover crops in there a little bit and your concords to cut back on, you know, the vegetative growth. So your inanodes aren't so long, but I don't even want to make that call right now until we have some warmer weather and see where we get, especially since it's only May 5th. We have, sorry, thread of frost through May 20th. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I mean, I guess it depends on your audience, but if you're just talking about some grower that knows for sure, they're only looking at tertiaries, you can be pretty aggressive with the changes you make in your production practices, particularly right. to nutrition. But I mean, you're talking about a thousand acres among 30,000 when you, when you're making a statement like that. Right. Right. At least this year. Same thing with so spray. far with this spray. year so far. <laughs> yeah. Andy, what would you say? Well, we still have a, like Jen said, we still have a ways to go, which is a little scary for me um, till we're out of the threat of the frost. So uh, and as far as movement, I think we have to wait a little longer. Um, I mean, there's areas that I saw that, again, I could talk about from, you know, the lake to um, maybe up to 20. Uh, a lot of those areas had little to no damage. And this is on a general basis. It depends on what vineyard. But the ones I checked, um, they had very little uh, damage but then you just go south of Route 20 and, you know, the started to increase. I was getting 12, uh, 15% um, primary buds that were dead, just, just south of 20. But the shoots themselves didn't look right. It looked almost like they stopped or were stunted. You could see the leaves being yellowed. You could even see some of the clusters having some, you know, brown on the cluster itself. So, and Jen, you could maybe uh, talk to this as what Terry Bates had said, but I'm wondering, you know, we're going to have to wait a little longer to see um, how much injury there is to those shoots. I mean, they weren't outright killed. They were growing. They're still green if you break them. They're not brown or, but definitely you see some leaf injury um, and it just seems like the growth has stopped. And so I don't think we're going to know in those situations um, what's going on. Um, but then you go further, the further south you go and towards the escarpment, 
you get up towards the escarpment and, and I've had 88 to 92% primaries dead. And so, you know, like you were Kev saying, Kevin, you know, you knew that pretty quick. I mean, they're crisp. So yeah. those areas, there's no debate. You can say, okay, these are primaries. Now the secondaries in those areas are, are really starting to kick. And right. so hopefully, you know, we'll make it through May. So they are starting to kick. It's the area that, like I said, maybe south of 20 up to maybe Side Hill Road. This is in Pennsylvania, Northeast Pennsylvania. That's the area that I think is really going to be debatable, whether they'll kick out of that and how much injury you're going to have in there. Yeah, I was in a couple there, Side Hill Road on the New York side. And um, it was about 75% that I would guesstimate at. It was towards the end of the day, we were walking through, the grower wasn't with us, but we were, and we had seen so much devastation, but there was a lot more pink there. Yeah. <laughs> I agree. What do you think about, I've had a grower call me this morning, they've already started their first spray today, because I have seen they are out three inches. Yeah, I, I got, anywhere when I was out the other day, looking for injury I was also measuring some shoots and you got anywhere from a range of you know maybe one and a half two inches say as far as you can get on route five or close to the lake up to I think maybe three and a half inches is the most that I have seen maybe one or two four inch but um you know we're right in that range where we start to talk about a phomopsis spray Right. And generally, you know, we mostly talk about it in the three to five inch range, but it's anywhere from the one to five inch, really. Um, and depending on the weather and what's going on. Uh, so we're right at that point where growers should be putting on a, um, a spray for Phomopsis. And, yeah. and that would be, you know, a Mancazeb, a Captan or a Zyram spray. Well, you could skip the Zyram. <laughs> <laughs> Unless something weird is going on in Concord anyway. But well, I, yeah, I, would... I would just second what you're saying. In almost all vineyards, that's going to be justified this year. In, in Sort of. Um, so if they're alive, you want to put on that three-inch spray. Uh, right now, you can look at the weather forecast and see that the risk of phomopsis is really high. And the value of the crop that is left also appears to be really high. So mm -hmm. even if you have 50% primary bud loss, you're going to, you're going to easily justify this spray. So then the reason for that is because crop prices are high. You don't have to save that much crop. And we know that if you lost half your primaries, there's zero benefit to losing crop through Phomopsis because you're going to get ripe anyway. And um, so you want to make sure you can do everything you can to preserve the crop that's less or left. And you know, the weather forecast does not look great. It looks like you're going to be stuck at three to five inches and there's going to be uh, a plenty of long infection periods unless, you know, the weatherman's wrong, but I, I'm not going to take that bet and risk some crop loss. Right. So, when there's only half a crop out there on some funds. Yes. And half a crop or even less, depending on what your crop levels are, you know, if you're looking at a four ton crop, and, and you're trying to protect that, you can do that with a three-inch spray economically, especially with crop prices where they are. Um, so even if things look ugly, 
it makes sense. And be really careful to, you know, assuming that your crop isn't going to be four tons. Um, now for people less than four tons, I think maybe you're not doing your three inch spray now because you don't have live tissue right now, or your secondaries are just starting to push. But when that happens, if you're a grower that leaves up 150 buds, you can still spray that three inch spray for secondaries economically. I don't know if the risk is going to be as high at that time. We just don't know. Um, we'll have to wait and see what the weather brings, but, but you can definitely do that with secondaries as well. It, you know, if you leave up 60 buds and you're down to, you know, just secondaries and 95% primary loss, it might be a little different, but that's really an old way of growing grapes. And we don't see a lot of acreage that is grown that way anymore. So, uh, you know, I would caution to provide any advice in terms of how to, you know, you know, for our larger audience to, to not spray that three inch spray because oh. you can't rely on secondaries because we've learned to re rely on secondaries, at least, you know, to varying degrees, depending on where you are in the belt. That kind of brings me, I'm sorry, Andy, do you want to, I just wanted well, to touch base saying, on. Kevin, with the weather, we may be in this, you know, three to five inch uh, stage for a while. A while. And the longer we are, the more chances of getting wet weather and having these Phomopsis infections. So, and then I was going to ask you, Kevin, you know, what you didn't comment on is, is, you know, and I always defer to you when we're talking about prices. So, I mean, what a Mancazeb spray really would cost. I mean, it's not. Yeah, I think we were going to get in today how some there are some issues with with input costs this year related to corn prices. So far, EBDCs have not been one of those. They are typically purchased early and they don't seem to be following corn. Really, any of the fungicides aren't are not quite following commodity prices just yet. And certainly not to the extreme that the herbicides are. So that means it remains affordable. And what that means is you know, $6 an acre for a lower rate, maybe three to $4 an acre if you're spraying something like a lower rate of captan. Um, so in that range of, of almost nothing in terms of material costs. In terms of application costs, it really depends on how you're doing it. So higher ground speeds are an option. Um, Multi-row equipment is an option. Uh, and your, your application costs are going to vary from grower to grower. But we like to target about $12 to $20 per acre. Um, so you're really talking about saving $25 at the most worth a crop. And I would, I'd like to see that under $20. And I think a lot of larger growers are, and so are a lot of really small growers. Um, so under $20 and a lot of that cost is labor, which may be unpaid. So this is your opportunity to, um, you know, spend just a little bit of time at maybe a lower rate of salary and then maybe make uh, quite a bit of money on that investment. And, and, and that means if, if we're wrong and there's no rain and there are no infection periods, um, the, the only economic loss you sustained is five or six dollars per acre, maybe seven after fuel and your time. And that's what a lot of growers are facing. So the, the risk of loss is extremely low and the risk of gain is quite high. That's well, and you, if, if you look at percentages, at least in our area, um, the chance of no rain early this season, like this, close to zero, pretty low. <laughs> right. So I think if you're a gambler and go with the odds, you know, uh, you, put the spray on. 
that kind of gave me a little bit of a segue. And if you didn't join us this morning, today was our very first coffee pot meeting that we had. We had a guest speaker, Dr. Katie Gold, who's a great pathologist at Cornell University. She did a great review on timely sprays right now, how they work, the life cycle of the spores and um, say oocytes. I never say that right. So I apologize if I didn't say that correctly. <laughs> so that's actually recorded. So if you weren't able to make it this morning, it'll be on our website under our podcast. And I highly recommend it was about, what do you think? Maybe an hour long guys? Yeah. I think it's a portion of it. Yeah. yeah. Yep. We got a lot I of think it questions. would be an hour well spent. We got a lot of good questions too. It was, right. it was a good conversation between the growers and, and Katie and the team members. Yeah. And for our virtual coffee pot meetings, you know, you can register at lergp.com. It'll link you through to the CCE site uh, if you want to get credits. And uh, we'll also send out some text alerts to the growers who are members of the program, uh, just to remind you every Wednesday, but you can join us throughout the growing season uh, for credits and for more importantly, that valuable information. Um, yeah, so if you guys want, the one thing that was brought up that, that I wanted to touch on was when we're talking about changing uh, pr practices because of frost damage, the first thing that's going to go, of course, in, in terms of the decision-making tree is fertilizer because, um, you know, that's the first decision I think growers make. Uh, one thing I, the one thing I would comment on is, is of course, potash is going to be related to your crop size. So once we know for sure that your crop is smaller, you can make adjustments to your potassium applications. If this is the time of year you're making your potassium application, it's not always. Um, urea, I think, can actually do some harm if you really don't need it and you're applying it and there's no crop. So the urea, you definitely want to be careful with, and that's your reason to do assessments. Um, the one thing I would say when it comes to potassium and urea, this is not, so those, those two, at least from an inorganic perspective, it's not a good year to build up, build up nitrogen or potassium in your soil. And the reason for that is price. I was just um, going to ask you, you're talking mainly on price here, right? Yeah. So if you were lucky or, or smart or whatever it is, and you purchased your fertilizer earlier, early in the year, you're okay to use it if you need it for building or for your crop. And that occurred, you know, last September, October, November, even into December wasn't bad. Um, but since, since December, you know, corn prices went crazy. Um, we're, and they, they continue to remain very high. So we're looking at corn prices, you know, current contract corn prices are 741, which isn't a record because the record was, I think, yesterday. Um, corn at harvest, so you're looking at, you know, December, uh, at least in this region, maybe September in a few regions, but you're looking at $6 corn at harvest, which is just kind of unheard of. So, and nothing in the planting season has interrupted that high price. Like nobody's planted an extra 5 million acres to make the price go down. Um, obviously more corn is going in the ground. It has not affected price. What that means is potassium prices jumped from 332 a ton to 416. Urea prices jumped from uh, 356, 355 to 474. And they continue along, particularly urea along that straight up track to who knows where. Um, phosphorus is super important to corn, so that's even worse. It's not very important to grapes. 
So definitely not a year to build phosphorus in soil for grapes. If you really need it, it can make a big impact, but you can go down to very low rates to do that. Um, do not build phosphorus in your soil this year. Build your uh, pH if you want more. <laughs> right. But I, I mean, we do, you know, grapes do use a little bit of phosphorus and we right. used to get phosphorus and grapes from natural sources, um, manure. We, you know, we had diversified agriculture. A lot of people in the 1980s had leftover phosphorus from the 50s. Um, so we are seeing a different era where phosphorus is a valuable nutrient for grapes. But I mean, we're talking, I've seen visual changes in leaf area by applying 20 pounds of actual. Um, so if you see symptoms and, and you can confirm it with a soil test, absolutely, you know, make that phosphorus application. But, you know, a lot of growers will, will eventually need 50 to 100 pounds of actual over the period of a couple of years. This is not necessarily the time to do that. You can, you can limp on by with phosphorus and you can do the same with potash if your soil tests show what they should, which is, you know, you've been valuing potash as a as a nutrient for years and years because that's just essential to grape production. So hopefully what you see is, you know, some decent base saturation levels in potash, and then you can reduce your, your maintenance dose if your, if your um, yields go down. And I was going to say, you're sp strictly speaking, if you had frost damage or freeze damage, correct? Yeah, yeah. So you okay. can, if you're not building, which I, I don't think you should build this year, right? unless you have chronically low levels, um, mm. you can certainly link your potassium maintenance doses in a way that you can't with other nutrients almost directly to yield. So as your yield changes, you can change your potassium. Mm -hmm. um, so, yeah. I, you know, I think that's the first thing to go if you have some severe damage, those, is, is those fertilizers can be reduced. And, and those are the places that we've seen where you can, you know, you have damage, you look out and it's all brown. Right. So, but like Andy and we were saying earlier, I think it's still a little too early to tell on a lot of these, if you're talking about dialing back your management practices, unless you know you're fried. Right. And I don't, I don't care what you do with potash. If you bought some cheap potash and you want to put it down, go ahead. But you do want to make sure you get out and do an assessment to see which camp you fall into for urea. Cause it's not just about money there. It's about, it's about vine health too. Absolutely. Andy, do you have anything else to add? I know I yeah. covered everything that I wanted to cover on that. So. Well, like you said, like Kim was talking about, you know, the nitrogen. I mean, there's been enough research, um, especially on Concords, um, that, you know, you could even go, if, if you've got your soil tests have told you and petiole tests have told you that you're in a good, uh, your nutrition is good, uh, your trellis fill is good, uh, you know, leaf size, color, um, you can go a couple of years you know, without even adding nitrogen, if you don't have, you know, a really heavy crop. And so in a year like this, I don't see, you know, the guys that have a lot of um, primary injury, I, I don't see any problem at all. It's what those guys, like you, you guys have been talking about in the middle, right. um, where they may have primary injury that we won't know till they start to grow more. Um, that's, that'll be the toughest, but even cutting back there, 
Um, I, I don't see any problem with it this year. I just want to make it abundantly clear that we are not telling you to dial back on your nutrition because it's a price thing. It's only if, yeah. (laughs) It's the whole frost issue. And and that's, that's tough. And we, we had these conversations last year when we also had the frost, Um, you know, what we do with uh, nutrition, you know, should I cut back on nitrogen? Should I, you know, we had the same thing with um, uh, sprays with uh, pest management. You know, what do I do now? I've got uh, primaries. I've got secondaries coming out. How do I balance my spray program? How do I balance uh, my spray program when it's differential? Some are at five and some are at one. Right. I mean, and then when you get to the bloom, you know, it's really those critical bloom, pre-bloom and post-bloom times of sprays. You know, that's difficult when you have, you know, your, your primaries blooming at this time and then secondaries blooming a little bit later. Um, so, and, and that's where I think, Kevin, you know, especially with the prices, um, the, the, the amount of grape juice, um, or, or there's more demand now for the grape juice, that where prices, um, especially in a year like this, growers can justify, um, you know, spraying a little bit more, I think. Right. Yes. Yeah. Well, I mean, I will say, I, and I'm only going to say this because you guys jumped in and said you might need to not relate your practices to price, but with potassium, we had a lot of growers and I don't know if, you know, if you're out there listening, I don't know if you're in this camp, but potassium was under $300 a ton and they were executing some very aggressive build programs. And I believe that this price, if you haven't bought any potassium yet and you, you were, even remotely close to some of those aggressive build programs, you can lay off the building in your soil this year. I mean, you know, if you have parts per million that show up low or your base saturation is like one, 2%, then you can't, especially if you have any sort of crop. But if you've been aggressively building potassium, this is not a year to continue that aggressive build at, I don't know what kind of price you're gonna get, 450, $500 a ton for your potassium costs. So that doesn't mean you don't need potassium. It just means maybe you shouldn't be, you know, trying to get your base saturation up by 1% in a single year kind of thing, like you might've been doing two years ago. Right. Um, uh, Spraying's a little bit different. Fungicides haven't moved around that much, but be careful and execute your plan. Because if you have an idea of, uh, of a chemical that you want to get, I don't know if you're going to be able to get it right now. You can, if it's a fungicide and fungicides haven't disappeared yet. Um, I would assume the cheap ones are going to disappear first because they're probably more likely to be used in field crops. So like a Tebustar or something that anything that, especially if it's something that has corn or soybeans on the label and is less than $10 an acre, if that's an important material to you, make sure you get it. But you know, I also think that as those disappear, people will trade up or, or laterally to different pesticides in other crops. So you might see lots of shortages, not just there. Uh, so, you know, buy your pesticides now. Um, we are seeing shortages of herbicides. That's certainly affected price as of like two, three months ago. Uh, now it's affecting quantity. Like, I think maybe you can get Roundup, probably. If you can, you should. <laughs> um, some other herbicides, you may not be able to get at all. And also adjuvants are looking like spreader stickers, maybe, I think, might be in short supply as well. So 
just order your stuff, get your stuff. And Don't what wait. you get is what you get. You might not be able to adjust as much as you normally do during the growing season. Darn, you were talking and there was something else. I was like, oh, I got to remember to say that. It's gone. <laughs> it's gone. But yeah, for most growers, I don't think there's a reason to adjust your spray program until probably the, you know, you might do some minor tweaks in the immediate pre-bloom or immediate post, but certainly after the immediate post-bloom, you could make some changes based on your frost damage. Um, probably not before that, with the exception of just, I guess, you know, if you were farming tertiaries, obviously you don't need to protect the fruit. But again, that goes back to you know, there's, that's not much of our audience. That's a small percentage of the acreage. It looks like to me. Thankfully. I also want to just remind everybody that we are available. If you are in the LERGP region and you need us to come out and help assess or questions about spray, questions about business, reach out to get us via our email or our cell phone numbers, which you can find on the website at LERGP.com. Yes. And um, my efficient vineyard, Dot com or efficientvineyard.com. You can download a tool called My Efficient Vineyard. Great tool for doing some of these frost assessments and trying to look at what your frost damage is from a spatial perspective, giving you a better idea of what your damage might be before you start making extreme decisions about how to take care of your crop and cut back on costs that you shouldn't. Jen, you want to jump in? and? I did, because yeah. thank you for bringing that up. I would like to point out that there are tutorials out there on that website. I don't want you to be afraid of this. I know it's daunting in the beginning. Even I, when I was setting up my data collector was like, oh. but that's because I'm an instant gratification girl. And I don't have a lot of patience. There are some tutorials out there that just walk you through simply. And then once I, once I watch them, they're not long either. We're talking seven to 10 minutes. Once I watched them, it was so easy. I made one for the entire belt data collector for freeze damage. There's a sliding scale you can add to it, step it up by how much percentage. And then I can look at it when I get back here on my desktop to say, wow, this area really got hit. This area didn't, you can scale that down to your own. And that's on efficientvineyard.com website. There's a lot of tutorials out there to help hold your hand, walk you through it. And if you get stuck, let me know and I can get you the right tutorial. Yes. Um, and if we keep talking long enough, I think corn, <laughs> I think corn is going to hit $6 by the time we get done with this podcast for December. Yeah. So we can just keep talking till that happens. It's, it's just, it's moving a lot today and has been all week. I know, you know, we're talking to grape growers, so who cares, but hopefully we connected those dots for you. And I would anticipate, you know, as this affects other commodities, there is also potential that this will help provide price support for Concord prices. Um, I think actually this year, we're probably already baked into high prices. We've got some frost damage, uh, COVID's still not over yet, which was pretty good for the juice grape industry. Um, so I would anticipate there should not be anything that results in lower prices for 2021. Uh, I think that's across the board though, Kevin, don't you? I mean- What's that? High prices, grocery shopping, anything. Um, it, uh, it's it's been pretty mixed you know a lot of these high prices are very hard for some industries because they haven't been able to pass these costs on because some prices of things are not up um what inflation is i want to buy those what are they <laughs> inflation has been a little bit muted overall actually so 
there's going to be there's going to be winners in this market uh and hopefully it's grape growers um, but we don't we don't necessarily follow around the price of corn i mean maybe roundup does uh, but corn does not or but grapes don't necessarily do that it does provide some support for us you know we do indirectly uh, especially when prices are very low, compete with corn syrup as a product. I mean, we are, uh, the grape juice industry, one of their offerings is is sugar. So, uh, you know, a, a food scientist can, can create something that resembles grape juice, and it's not quite the same, but if that product is a dollar and our product is $7, that's a problem. <laughs> and as corn, you know, and field crop prices go up, and corn syrup and, and other input costs go up, then we can raise our prices for grape juice to to um, make sure that you know we can we can also survive some of these commodity price hits, which are usually more concerning than the than the benefit of of higher grape prices. Uh, if those grape prices are driven by corn, right now they're not. Right. Good. So let me ask you this: as our take home message for today's podcast, mine would be. There is damage out there for the freeze. Things have stalled out a little bit. I wouldn't make any rash decisions until you get out there, check your own vineyards, and you have to wait a little bit for a little warmer weather to actually really assess what that damage is going forward. Kevin, if I heard you right, and correct me if I'm wrong, yours was don't wait. Don't wait on getting some of the stuff that you need to purchase. Yes. And the only other thing I would add is, you know, my take home message is always this is a perennial crop. And don't be too aggressive when you have frost damage with changing your production practices. Uh, This year, even more so because of high grape prices. The only caveat being that fertilizer price issue, if you have really healthy soils, you might be able to be a little more aggressive this year if your soils look great. Again, because of price. Andy, what would you add in regards to? Mine would be that we're... Oh, I'd say about the three and a half inch stage overall and that growers should be getting out there and putting on a Fomopsis spray for the guys that got a really heavy injury. Um, you know, they'll have to wait till their secondaries come out, but they'll be in that same situation where, you know, put that spray on between the one to five inch uh, range for Fomopsis. It's a good year to protect the crop. Absolutely. Again, this is Between the Vines, and we are the Lake Erie Regional Grape Program. Thank you for joining us. We will be back again next week, and we may post some content from the uh, sort of a special podcast from the from the coffee pot to try to entice you to join us live to, when we do those. Uh, so look out for that as well this week, and otherwise, we will see you next week. Thanks a lot. Thanks, everybody. Thank you.